One team that I would maybe feel a little concerned if I, if I were them would be Florida State. And, and it's it's partly because maybe last week it wasn't as convincing a victory as a lot of people wanted it to be against Miami, but it's not their fault that some of the teams that they've played have since fallen off. Hello and welcome to Always College Football. Today is a Wednesday edition, but we are taping it on Tuesday night. Full disclosure, we don't want to pull any tricks off here. As we tape the show on a Tuesday, and things could come out on a Wednesday, but we are launching the show on Wednesday, so we're glad that we're with you, and we appreciate you coming to us from wherever it is you're coming to us from, whether it's on the Apple Podcast platform, the Spotify Podcast platform, ESPN YouTube channel, the ESPN College Football page. We so appreciate you guys coming every week. Our numbers are going up like crazy, and we continue to appreciate all the support that you've shown the show here over the last year and change. We officially have the third College football playoff rankings. I'm going to do what I always do. I'm probably going to become more upset than I need to because everyone seems to keep telling me that these rankings don't matter. Doesn't matter. It's okay. It'll work itself out. And I continue to be a little bit disappointed with some of the things I occasionally see, but I digress. So we'll break those down and we're going to do a little bit of a crew roundtable tonight. So we're going to have Jack. We're going to have Coobs. We're going to have everybody throw in questions. We're just going to have a nice little open discussion about the college football playoff rankings and we'll play the hypothetical game. Why not? Now is the time. (laughs) Hypotheticals are running rampant all over college football. So we might as well indulge as well. So let's dive in right now to the third college football playoff rankings. All right, guys, another week where we get to look at what the committee is going to give us. Is it going to be a change? Is it going to be altered? Is it going to be different? Well, not that different tonight. I mean, there, there's a lot of things that you could hoot and holler about, I suppose, but they'd be on the team. They'd be beyond kind of the threshold where, where you might start to have some issues. Okay. So let's just start by kind of evaluating the top because that was the most notable and significant change. Georgia has now leapfrogged Ohio state into the number one spot. Is it overdue? Not necessarily, but I think it's justified. I also moved Georgia into the number one spot this week in my rankings. Uh, I think their ceiling is still the highest in college football. I think they're the best team in college football, and they now had one of the most convincing victories against a quality team just a week ago. Now, a lot of people have already said, well, Ole Miss isn't very good. I, I don't disagree with that. I'm not saying Ole Miss is necessarily playoff contender worthy. But I think Ole Miss is a good opponent. The Ole Miss has some good wins at their res- on their resume. They were ranked number nine last week. They've dropped down to 13. And Georgia beat them 52-17. I mean, it was a complete beatdown. Uh, their offense remains one of the most efficient in college football. I think Kirk Herbstreit had a really good comment tonight because I completely agree with it. Uh, he, he made a couple mentions of, of the fact that they're getting healthier. They've been without their right tackle for a while. They've been without their best weapon for a while. Lad McConkie's been in and out of the lineup, and he's now banged up, but could have returned last week, and he should be okay. So I am totally good with Georgia moving into the number one spot. I'm totally good with Ohio State being at number two. I'd love to hoot and holler here, but I acknowledge and appreciate and respect Ohio State's resume. As of right now, still this moment, they still have the number one strength of record, which is an indicator or a metric, if you will, that gauges what they've done at this point and how many teams could do what they've done up to this point. So while look, I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep over the Rutgers game or or the performance that they had against Wisconsin, which which wasn't great, but it was good enough. Uh, the game against Maryland, the first half performance, and just how kind of kind of slog their way through it. The game against Penn State was a good win. It was a good win. It was a convincing victory, and they looked good in the process. The defense has been elite all year long, and I do think people, self included, I think we all do. I think we all have a tendency to get maybe a little bit more enamored with offense as opposed to defense. And while uh, I don't necessarily think Ohio State's offense is on the level that they've been in the last couple of years. Uh, if you guys feel like they are, that's fine. I, I, I We're going to respectfully disagree. I don't think they're where they need to be on that side of the ball just yet. Hopefully they'll get there, but I don't feel like they're there just yet. Last week was a step in the right direction, but the defense, like if we're going to value offense and point scored, wow, look at how they can light up the scoreboard. CJ Stroud and all these receivers, they're amazing. Well, if they've made that kind of strides on defense, and maybe the offense has another gear that we haven't seen just yet, maybe they're going to get there. So I have no problem with them being number two. 
Now, I had Michigan number two on my ranking, um, but we're, we're splitting hairs. I think Michigan and Ohio State, there, there are some comparable attributes on both. Both play elite level defense. Uh, both, I, I think, can ramp it up if necessary. I think both have uh, good, solid internal pieces along their defensive front seven. Um, here's the one difference that I have between Michigan and Ohio State, which is why I just slightly favor Michigan. One, I think Michigan has a better quarterback. I think Ohio State has better weapons. Uh, I think running back is in favor of Michigan, even though Ohio State's different with Travion Henderson when he's healthy. Offensive line, I'd favor Michigan. Um, but I envision that game kind of being a kind of a, a slug fest. You know what I mean? So like those two teams, those two will resolve itself. Whether they're two or three, we're splitting hairs. It's not that big of a difference. And the game performance against Penn State for both, which is the only real comparable opponent that we've seen with both, we're, they're, they beat them. They both beat them convincingly. Um, one won by nine, one won by eight. One, they both had bigger leads than they had at the end, uh, at one point than they did at the end. So, like, it, it doesn't make that big a difference. Here's where it starts to get interesting to me. Four versus five. And you guys know I've called multiple Florida State games this year. I think that team is capable of going with the best in college football when they are playing at their best. The problem is when they are not playing at their best, they become very gettable. And that is a little bit of a concern. Just a little bit of a concern. And I'm starting to look and I'm starting to see the writing on the wall. Now, I thought it was huge for the committee to have Florida State at number four tonight. Because if you compare the resumes, compare the resumes, I think Washington's resume is stronger than that of Florida State's. Maybe not as far as game control is concerned, right? Game control and how badly they beat teams, Florida State would have the edge there. Because they had a big 21-point margin of victory against LSU. They beat Duke at the time. was a very good team. Still 6-4, and four, but it was relatively convincing. But they've had some narrow margins of victory as well against Miami, Clemson, and Boston College. All are 6-4 and four or better. So they're all, in my eyes, pretty good wins. But I'm looking at Washington's resume. And here's what I'm struggling with. Washington, they're not really paying close enough attention to Washington's resume. Because I think they're a little bit enamored with the fact that Washington has not played a 60-minute ball game in a while on both sides of the ball. Maybe they're a little bit, maybe they're a little anxious about what Washington's been at times defensively. Maybe they still remember the Arizona State game and how that was just really unimpressive. Uh, I'm not sure what it is because if you look at the resumes that Florida State has currently, and while, like I said, I have respect for what Florida State's accomplished so far. But Florida State at the moment doesn't really have a lot of great wins. They got the win against LSU. That's a great win for sure. They're ranked number 15 right now. But beyond that, there's not a lot on there for the Seminoles. Meanwhile, Washington has a win against the team that's currently ranked number six by the committee in Oregon. You can say, well, it wasn't that convincing. Fair enough, but it's a win. I mean, whether it's one by one or 100, it's still a win. They also have a win against a team that's now ranked 17 in the country at their place in seven and three Arizona. They have a win against SC who's seven and four. We're not going to you know, throw a parade for beating the Trojans right now. We know that that is not an elite win, but Utah is still ranked in the top 25 as well. So they've beaten three teams that are ranked in the top 22. And they, I think that's probably a little bit better resume than what Florida state has. So it was important that the committee has Florida state. If you're a Florida state fan, you should be really happy about where you're at right now. Because still, even though Washington's schedule and resume looks pretty dang good, they're still in front of you. Washington's strength of record is number two in college football, by the way, behind Ohio State. So, hey, they're still behind you. Take it. Do what you got to do. The problem is Florida State has to win out to make it to the college football playoff. And I'm not ever going to try to look for like, hey, you know, this were a team. At this point, I'm looking at the undefeateds. Can any of them slip up and make it? The answer is yes. I think all of them except Florida State. That's just my opinion. If Florida State, obviously, they're not going to lose to North Alabama. But if they lose to um, Florida in the rivalry game and then beat Louisville, will that be enough to still be in the college football playoff? I'm guessing it's probably not going to be. Just my thought. Just my thought. Should it be? It's a different question. 
but Louisville's 10th, and they just got jumped by a two-loss team in Missouri. Now, I was hoping for Florida State's resume that Louisville would be a little higher, to be honest with you, at 9, and they're at 10, and they haven't really moved. So, And what if Louisville loses this week to Miami, and then Louisville will drop down? Then, you know, there's Florida State just twisting in the wind. So Florida State, they went out, they're undefeated, ACC champs, they're getting in. That, that, that I think, is, is established. But if they were to somehow slip up, could they survive it? Meanwhile, I think Georgia could survive a slip up. If they lose in the SEC championship game, I think Georgia could still possibly get in. They would need some pieces around them to kind of fall off, but they could survive it. Could Ohio State lose to Michigan, be 11-1, and still potentially have a chance? Yes, I think they could, based on where they're ranked right now. Could Michigan lose to Ohio State and still get in? Probably not. They would have one win against Penn State, and then the rest of their resume would leave something to be desired. Could Florida State? I already said that I don't think they could survive a loss and still make it in. Washington, if they lose to Oregon State this week, and they still make it to the Pac-12 title game, they beat Oregon a second time, Washington's going. Because the strength that's remaining on Washington's schedule would only make their resume that much stronger, even in the event in which they lost a game. Just... That's a, just a roundabout way of thinking and thinking through hypotheticals, right? As far as the six, seven, eight discussion that we spent so much time on last week, it's kind of a moot point at the moment. At the moment, because I don't feel like the committee is basing their resume exclusively off of, or basing their rankings exclusively off resume. Last week, I felt like it was all about resume. Well, then you pull up Oregon's resume, and you're like, well, hang on a second, they have a, a win against Utah, who's 22, and that's it. Meanwhile, you got Texas, who's got a win against Kansas State. A win against Kansas, a convincing win against Kansas, uh, and they have a win against Alabama. Alabama, on the other hand, they have a good win against Ole Miss, who's number 13. They have a good win against Tennessee, who's 18. Uh, so you look at, uh, you got a good win against LSU, who's 15. So those three wins for each of those two teams is better than anything that Oregon has. But the committee is now taking the eye test into their ranking, which is why I don't have as much of an issue with Oregon being sixth this week. If I test is a factor, I understand it totally. And it'll work itself out anyways. Oregon's got to run the table, which is not necessarily a guarantee. A game against Oregon State's going to be a tough game. I think that's going to be a really tough game. And I think you got to play against Washington again, which is naturally going to be a really tough game. So we'll see how that all unfolds. Um, Texas and Bama, nothing changes there. If you have missed any of our previous commentary, we'll revisit it again at some point. And then finally, the biggest takeaway um, amongst the others if you will. What a job Jed Fish has done with Arizona at 17. What about Missouri and what Eli Drinkwitz has done? Sitting at 8-2 and two and firmly in the top 10, they've essentially, if they could take care of business the rest of the way, punched their ticket to the New Year's Six. So a great job for the Tigers and what was a really important year for Eli Drinkwitz. Alright, so normally on our Wednesday show, we'll bring in uh, an outside guest to get, you know, kind of a third-party assessment of what they thought of the rankings. We've had Danny Cannell. We've been very fortunate to have Colin Cowherd. Uh, but this week, we decided to take a week off and just kind of have an internal discussion, a little bit of a roundtable. So I know you guys know Mark Kubiak from his fine work, Emmy award-winning work on the Paul Feinbaum show. Did you even win an Emmy for that? If you did, uh, I don't know how. Uh, and secondly, uh, we have Jack Foster, who's a young up-and-comer, even though he did go to Tennessee. Um, but it's okay. We'll will allow it to proceed at the moment. So, guys, roundtable discussion. Where are we going? All right, let's start off. Think of us as the voice of the fans, all right? That's how we're going to treat this because Jack and I are both fans. We, we hear from everybody. We're reading everything. I'm not a fan. Well, you're, you're the analyst, okay? So we want to hit. We want to be the guy that asks. When it comes to college football playoff rankings, I think I'm just a fan because I'm looking at these rankings I'm like, I don't get it sometimes. But, hey, you know, we're all in the same boat. We're trying to figure it out together, right? That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so let me start with this then. Georgia, right. you talked about them earlier. Let's say they keep showing how good they are. They they roll through Tennessee. They take care of Georgia Tech, but they lose to Alabama. Do you think there's any way they're still not in the playoff? Yes, I think they'd be out more than likely. Really? The, the problem is, and while I understand your thought process, like, oh, they've won 28 in a row at this point, and if they win the next two, they will have won 30 in a row. Like, I totally understand why you're why you're making the argument that you're making. The, the problem is, is that the committee, at least in my experience, having covered the sport, and you guys tell me if you disagree, the committee, they always say, well, the four best teams, the four best teams, the four best teams. It's never been the four best teams. Okay. For instance, 2015 Ohio State, 
They lost to Michigan State, right? In the regular season. That was the year after the national championship. They couldn't get their quarterback situated. You got JT Barrett and Cardell Jones. It was like a roundabout. The offense couldn't do anything right. And then the next thing you know, they decided to go JT Barrett. And they, they looked unbelievable the rest of the year, but they lost to Michigan State. There was not a soul on planet Earth that would have told you that Ohio State was not one of the four best teams. But they were left out because they were basically the playoff committee was tasked with putting in the four teams that they can most easily justify. And that's, I think, what the criteria is. Who are the Don't four teams the that are the easiest to justify? Don't you think the committee's evolved a little bit since 15 to now? I mean, I get it, but this is the two-time defending national champ. This is a program that will have ripped off regular, you know, three straight regular season undefeated seasons. Like, how can you justify taking them from one and dropping them down to five, six, or seven, even with a, like a three-point loss to Alabama? I just don't well, see them doing that. Because I think it'd be entirely dependent on what goes on around them. I mean, if you have an undefeated Michigan or and or Penn State or and excuse me, and or Ohio State, don't want to make that mistake. Certainly don't want to, at least on our program, uh, confuse Penn State and Ohio State. They're very different programs, even though people like to pretend like they're not. Um, you have an undefeated Pac-12 or a one loss Pac-12 champion. You have an undefeated ACC champion. You have a one loss Big 12 champion. You have a one loss SEC champion. The committee has long said that they have to value when all things are equal one of the things and one of the criteria that they reference is conference championships won. And with all those other teams with comparable resumes, having a conference championship banner that they've hung, that could be the differentiator. Now, you want to ask me, you, Jack, college football world, regardless of the outcome of the SEC championship, is Georgia one of the four best teams? I don't know a soul that would say no. Not one person that would say no. But it doesn't mean they're going to get in. And that's an uncomfortable and weird thing to think about. But they might not get in in that circumstance. It's just it sucks, but it is what it is. So you, so you think if Washington loses to Oregon State, then beats Oregon, Washington still gets in over Georgia in that scenario? I think there's a real chance that they would, as long as they still won the Pac-12, right? There are some tiebreaker scenarios and... Would there be a scenario where Washington, you know, I, mean, I, I, I don't know all the tiebreakers. I'll study up and have them dialed in at least for uh, how about we do it for Thursday's show, right? Like we'll do it. We'll do it for that. But but looking at Washington, I mean, they're in a really good position. Um, they clinch a spot in the Pac-12 title game if they win or if Arizona loses, right? So they're in a really good spot. They're they're likely going to get in to the, call, to the Pac-12 title game. If they lose this week, how far do you think they're really going to drop? Like a lot of people have, have always kind of thought about this. Like, well, I remember one time, remember, uh, gosh, it had to have been like six, seven years ago. Maybe it was five. It was like 2016, maybe. Maybe it was 2017 in that vicinity. Like the second team, third team, fourth team all lost. And like nobody moved. And everyone was like, we're so used to the AP poll and we're conditioned at that point to look at it through the AP polls lens or even the BCS before that. If you lose, you drop. Simple as that. Like, that's the way it works. If you win, you move up or stay the same. If you lose, you drop. But tell me if Washington loses a close game this week to Oregon State, where are they going to drop to? Yeah, I mean, with Oregon State at 11, probably not much. Are you going to drop them below Oregon? I would, they, they would probably drop to eight. They'd be the best one loss or like the, you know, the one loss team in front of Missouri. Everybody else would move up, right? Well, but we ought to take into account their resume. I mean, because if we're going to, if we're going to look at resume and we're going to start looking at Washington and, and nitpicking Washington's resume, they have a win against number 17, Arizona. They have a win against number 22, Utah. And they have a win against current number six in Oregon. And to be honest with you, that's a better resume than Texas. And they have the head-to-head against Oregon. So if Washington loses this week, well, okay, that that's that stinks. You had an undefeated season going and you lose. How far are they realistically going to drop? Because I think that's a possibility. They lose this week. They might still very well be five next week, which will blow people's mind. But it's a possibility. It's absolutely a possibility. All right. So when we talk about the number one team and when it's all said and done, the potential teams that could end up number one. Do you think the number one team is going to be an SEC or Big Ten school no matter what? 
Yes. Um, well, I mean, I say that if Georgia loses, then they could drop out, obviously. And I don't think Bama can make up enough ground to get to the number one spot. Um, meanwhile, two and three play each other and will be a heavy, heavy favorite against Iowa, more than likely in the Big Ten title game. So, yes, I, if you were to tell me, Greg, right now, do you think it's going to be a Big Ten or an SEC school that goes number one? Uh, yes. But here's what I would also say. I don't know if it matters that much um, because whether the SEC school or the Big Ten schools at one, the only thing you get at one, you get two things. You get geographic preference to where you want to go play your game. So I would imagine just and I don't know this for certain. I haven't talked to Michigan or Ohio State. But I would imagine they would choose the Rose Bowl. And then I would imagine if Georgia were number one, they would choose the Sugar Bowl. So all things considered, the SEC school will likely be going to New Orleans to play in the Sugar Bowl game. And the Big Ten school would likely be going to the granddaddy of them all to to be a part of, of the semifinal game at the Rose Bowl. So I, I don't I think it's highly likely that it's going to be one of those two conferences that's on the one line. But it doesn't really change a whole lot. It would really just change geographic preference of what jersey color you wear and then ultimately who your opponent is. And to be honest with you, I'm not sure who you want. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you're Georgia, do you, do you want to face a team that, that could light up the scoreboard in Washington? Or do you want to face a team that's maybe a little bit more balanced um, offensively and defensively in Florida State? That I think is is probably one of the biggest question marks. You brought up the geography, and I'm, I want to. And it's interesting because, like, you're saying if Ohio State say they win out or Michigan, you think they would choose the Rose Bowl? What if Washington's number four? Wouldn't you want to choose someplace to make that tra- fan base travel across the country? <laughs> would that play into it at all? You think it's a good thought. I I, I haven't thought about it a whole lot. Um, I mean, you want Washington, those fans, they're going to be excited. You don't want to give them down to Pasadena, you know, like, hey, make it go down to the Sugar Bowl. I, like, I guess my question is, like, if you're well, one other that, you one think- other aspect of it, too, though, like I remember vividly in 2014 being in New Orleans. Um, I don't know why, like 2014, 15, 16, 17, like those years all feel very familiar um, because it was also new and it was also consumable. But I remember going in 2014 to Bama, Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl and covering the game. And there were way more Ohio State fans than Bama fans because Bama had been to the Sugar Bowl so many times in the last handful of years. So I I think that they've been to New Orleans so many times in the last handful of years. So I I think that that would be something that that would be worth taking into account. Like, where have your fans not gone? Where would they be more likely to travel to? Sure, that could be a factor. But in, in full disclosure... I don't know all the different boxes that you would need to check as the number one seed to determine where exactly you would want to go. Um, for Washington, sure, yeah. Would it be a, a closer game for you at the Rose Bowl than at the Sugar? Perhaps, but they haven't been to the playoff in seven years. Their fans are eager to spend money and go where they need to go to support their team. <laughs> I think just just operating under that assumption. That's fair. That's fair. All right. I, I do want to ask about Michigan, though, because they, they just, you know, you said it the other day, they bullied Penn State. That offensive game plan, though, is can they do that and beat the top tier teams or was that just a one off? Like, was that just to show that they can do it? Did they need to rely on it? Like the defensive lines for the top four or five teams are all pretty good, too. You know, yeah, I don't like, think Michigan's going to run for 250 on Georgia or Ohio State. I mean, I think they're amazing on along the offensive line. I I absolutely believe that. Um, and while maybe Georgia's been a little more susceptible against the run than they've been in the past, I, I don't anticipate you know forty some odd consecutive runs. <laughs> it felt like in a row or eighteen consecutive runs in the second half before they drop back to throw it. Uh, no, that's not a game plan that's repeatable. Uh, I don't think. Um, Maybe it would be against a team like Washington because you'd want to take the air out of the football. Maybe your best defense would actually be playing a little keep away. So I could see it being a little effective uh, against them, perhaps. 
Um, Florida State, I think you could probably have some success running the ball on them up the middle. Um, but I don't think you're going to be able to run the ball real well against Texas. Uh, I don't think you're going to be able to run the ball real well against Oregon. Uh, I don't think you'd be able to run the ball real well against Alabama. Um, so I think they would have to have a much more balanced attack offensively. And and that's been one of the biggest signs of progress for Michigan's program is the evolution of the passing game and the evolution of J.J. McCarthy. I mean, he is a, an extremely efficient player. And while people will look at the box score last week and say, well, I don't know if they can throw it. If they didn't throw it on Penn State, I don't know if they can throw it on anybody. doesn't mean they couldn't throw it on Penn State. It's just why would you play into Penn State's hand when Penn State has really active pass rushers and a pretty good secondary? I think you say, hey, look, stop it. And if you can't, we're just going to keep doing it. So I thought that was a game plan that was team-specific, uh, but it's probably not going to be one that they'll be able to rinse and repeat against any of the other top teams. Good stuff on round one, boys. We're going to bring it back for round two. Still a lot of teams that we need to get to. And I know that uh, you guys probably have some real tongue twisters coming up because you guys have been sitting deep in your hypothetical holes. And I'm curious, you know, where you're wanting to take this. Yeah, let's go to the little guy, Greg. Let's go to Louisville. Let's get a little crazy here. Honestly, do you think Louisville can even make the college football playoff, even by beating Florida State and being a one-loss ACC champion? To me, it feels like the, the bad losses they have to two-win pit and just the eye test factor, feels like a lot of chaos is going to have to happen for the Cardinals to get in. 100%. And I love, uh, Jack, I love you, but I'm going to unfortunately have to, you're going to have to take a lesson that I got the first time I called a Louisville game. Uh, and I found out about it about halfway through the first quarter. It was against LSU. This was back in 2016. I was calling the Citrus Bowl and I called them Louisville in the open Louisville, like Louisville. And dude, I've never seen my mentions get destroyed like that. So okay, look, I'm we, from, it, it's, it's almost Lovell. Love, it's almost like L-U-H-V-U-L. Lovell. Look, I've uh, always, <laughs> I'm from Tennessee and I've always tried to combat my Southern accent. So I just overcorrect, yeah. I guess. But. No, no, no. I, dude, you're, I did the exact same thing as you. So don't worry. We're on the same page. But as someone that, that is very proud of, of the growth that you've shown um, in this field, I know you're going to be great. And I know you already are. But uh, I just don't want Louisville fans killing you. Louisville. Uh, so um, I think it's a great question. First of all, I think Louisville's really good. Um, I've seen them already once this year, so I'm against Duke. Uh, I think their offensive line and defensive line are excellent. I think they can run the ball really well. The problem is their quarterback is a little bit, at times, prone to turnovers. And, and Jack Plummer, um, I think he's a good player. I mean, I really do. I think he's a talented guy. I think he, he's got a chance to make a roster on Sundays. Like, I really think he's that kind of guy. But I do think that he is prone to a lapse in judgment every once in a while. And they're not a team that can overcome a lot of mistakes against quality competition to ultimately get the win. Now, I thought tonight's ranking and having them at 10 was a little bit eye-opening. But I also have to deflect a little bit to the resume. They have two wins against quality opponents. Two. One against Notre Dame, who at the moment is ranked 19th. And then they have a, a good win against a six and four Duke team in convincing fashion. Now, however you measure Virginia Tech, however you measure some of the other teams they've played against, I have a ton of respect for Louisville. I've been around them and I'm going to call their game this weekend. Uh, and that, I think, will be another good win for them. If they go on the road to Miami and get a win, that's a good win. I know Miami's six and five, but if you look at Miami, they're closer to eight and two than they are to 500. Based on some of the mistakes that they've made and the self-inflicteds that they've made throughout the course of the season, so uh, I would have told you prior to tonight's ranking that Louisville still controls their own destiny. Now I am going to operate under the assumption that even if they win the ACC, it's going to be very difficult for them to surge past all the teams in front of them into one of those top four spots. Right. It has to be an undefeated team like that. For a team like Louisville, they have to run the table because close wins against Indiana and close wins against Virginia, people are going to look at that and really question if they can compete at the top level. I was really happy you went this way because if you were going to put Louisville in with a with a win against Florida State and running the table, I was just going to lose it. All right. But speaking of chaos, I, I do want to get into the chaos scenario because what if – what if there is chaos, McElroy, and like you, you, the inevitable, like that Tennessee wins and Auburn wins and Florida wins and, and Louisville wins the ACC? Is that going to be good 
for college football in the long run? I mean, it'll be exciting for like a two-week period, but when you get to the playoff, what is the committee going to do if all this chaos breaks loose over the next two weeks? Are you going to put the four best teams, the four most deserving teams? And again, like, will it be good for the sport? All right, let's go line by line. So let me make sure I'm I'm capturing the proper assumption here. Georgia loses to Georgia Tech, correct? Or Tennessee. Or Tennessee, one of the two. So they're 11 to 1. Um, Bama loses to Auburn. Yep. Uh, so they're 10 and 2. Uh, Washington loses to Oregon State. Do they lose to Washington State or are they still in good shape? No, we're going to say Oregon State and Washington State send the Pac 12 out with the <laughs> double birds and, you know, upset everybody. Oh, okay, so basically everybody has two losses. Perfect. Missouri's in. Uh, shoot, put Penn State back in. Why not? You know, um, no, because I mean, look, if if Maryland beats beats Michigan this weekend, or you know, if Ohio State l- loses this weekend, which is just so improbable, then you know anything can happen. But I think if if everything just goes haywire, which is highly unlikely, they'll probably keep the rankings looking an awful lot like they look right now. Meaning Georgia would be at one, not necessarily at one, but they'd probably be one of the four. Ohio State, because of their resume up to this point, would be one of the four. Michigan, if they win and beat Ohio State, they would be one of the four. Uh, If Iowa wins the Big Ten and sends the Big Ten East champ home packing, would the loser of the Michigan Ohio State game potentially go in their favor even though they won the head to head. These are all real questions, but I think if chaos just flew and everybody beat everybody, we'd probably end up with some semblance of a Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State and Louisville. We got him in. Uh, well, if Louisville wins the t- runs out and and is sitting there at, at 12 and one as the ACC champs and everybody else has one loss or two losses. I think there's a real strong possibility they would get in. Well, obviously this is all crazy chaos. Nothing. Washington state's just not beating Washington Apple. It's not happening. And big 10 West isn't winning the big 10, but I do think a little bit of realistic chaos could be Oregon state playing spoiler because they're tough and they beat Oregon last year. Oregon in Corvallis, and it's an Austin this year. It's going to be tough, but they could play spoiler and knock the pac 12 completely out. And then Texas could lose. They haven't been able to finish. So I think, you know, bringing Louisville back in, Louisville, sorry, Greg, back in a You're little good. bit. Don't apologize to me. Can, we're good. I made the same mistake you did. So we're in the same spot. Maybe <laughs> if the Pac-12 and Big 12 are completely eliminated, they can find their way in. Or it's just Georgia, Bama, Michigan, Ohio State, and the, the losers of those games get in if chaos reigns in the Pac-12 and the Big 12. Well, I, I think that, like, first of all, Oregon State is like the quintessential spoiler. Um, they're really good. They can run the ball as well as anybody as far as their run efficiency. They can rush the quarterback. Um, so they're built to play with the lead. They're fifth in college football in sacks. And we're going to break down Washington and Oregon State uh, on tomorrow's show. But we we all know that that there's a possibility that Washington loses that game. I mean, I believe they opened up in Vegas as a slight underdog. So it's it's certainly within the realms of possibility. Um, but it would be pretty wild for Oregon State and to and for Washington State, the two remaining members of the Pac-12, which, by the way, got a tremendous, tremendous ruling in a judge by a judge today where they are the sole members of the Pac-12 board moving forward. So they, that was a huge landmark decision that will break down in the offseason. But. It would be it would be one, it would be poetic justice, um, but two, it would be understandable. I mean, Oregon State's for real, so be really interesting to see how it all shakes out. But y'all, the, these teams are really good, man. I mean, do I think Texas is going to lose one down the stretch? Probably not. Uh, do I think Washington's going to lose one? Um, I think they could very easily lose to Oregon State, but I think they could definitely run the table the rest of the way, get back to the Pac-12 title game and beat Oregon again. Sure. Do I think Florida State's going to lose? No, I don't. Uh, I think Florida State's going to hold serve and, and win the rest of their games and punch their ticket to the playoff. And uh, I would be absolutely shocked, as shocked as I've ever been in this line of work, if the winner of the Big Ten East, whether it's Ohio State or Michigan, loses to one of the teams this weekend and then ultimately loses to 
Iowa in the Big 12 title game or Big 10 title game. I would be absolutely shocked. So I know it's fun to think about, but I just don't en- envision it as a real likely scenario. I'm glad you brought up Texas there because I, they've been skating by a little bit the last two weeks. You know, they're playing at Iowa State this week and Texas Tech. If they go win out, but don't do it convincingly, there's not a chance that Alabama could jump them, even if, if, if Alabama, excuse me, if Alabama looks really good, right? They're still going to hold that head to head is an important factor, right? Well, there's precedent. I referenced it a little bit earlier. Um, there have been outcomes in the past that uh, the committee has had to acknowledge. And and while even as we looked there on Selection Day, everyone knew that Ohio State in 2015 was better than Michigan State. Everyone knew it. There was not a doubt. No one was making an argument on behalf of Michigan State. Nobody. Everybody knew that Texas was better or excuse me, that Ohio State was better that year. But Michigan State still got in because the committee, that is the committee's worst nightmare. The committee's worst nightmare is for Texas to win out as the Big 12 title winner and then for Alabama to win out. And Alabama beats Georgia, the two-time defending champ that had won at that point 30 in a row. And they have to decide between the two when Texas has not looked great in the process, whereas Alabama has gotten better and better and better and better. Because the committee has always said, well, the, the four best teams. And if you don't think Texas is better than Alabama based on the eye test, then that's playing into what the committee's long preached. But what the committee would also be doing if they put Alabama ahead of Texas is telling everybody that watches college football and consumes college football that the regular season doesn't matter. And the committee can never do that. They can't. And it would be totally, totally backwards if you were to completely ignore a result that was actually played out on the field. You can't do it. It's just, it can't be done. Now, if Texas loses another one, then Bama will go right by them. But if Texas holds serve, then it'd be impossible for me to envision a scenario where Bama would jump them. Um, I also... At the same time, look at it like this. The committee is made up of mostly athletic directors. And everybody has been saying for a while now, you need to strengthen your out-of-conference. You need to strengthen your out-of-conference. Your conference schedule is what it is, but you need to play a big-time opponent in the non-conference in order to strengthen your resume. Well, Bama did that. Texas did that. And Bama... Because they lost to Texas in a non-conference game is going to be left out potentially. Whereas other teams that have played non-conference opponents, a la Georgia, who don't play anybody in the non-conference this year. uh, Michigan didn't play anybody in the non-conference. And then uh, Oregon did challenge themselves in the non-conference. It wasn't their fault that Texas Tech didn't materialize, but not to the same extent as what you've seen from Alabama and Texas. So um, it would send a message that, hey, don't strengthen your out-of-conference schedule because it could ultimately come back to get you. But we're moving into a new 12-team playoff era where those losses could be forgiven and in many ways might actually benefit you down the road. So uh, obviously we're this is the last year of the four-team, so it's going to be very different moving forward. But I think it would send a really bad message if they, one, ignored a regular season result, and two, also, at the same time, penalized a team like Alabama for scheduling a difficult out-of-conference. So it's really a catch-22 in which the committee can't win. So they'll do the easier of the two things, and they'll acknowledge the regular season result, which is probably what they should do anyways. I would push back. I mean... I'm going to ask a different question, but just giving my thoughts on this. I think it'd be kind of a crime if Alabama didn't get in. And it's like the biggest win in college football in two years if they beat Georgia. No one's beat Georgia. If Alabama finally does it and wins the SEC and what we've seen them do the back half of the season, it'd just be a crime if they're not in CFP just because Texas won back in week two. But I have a question. Same concept, but for Oregon, who didn't play Alabama. Say Oregon, who's ranked ahead of Alabama right now, becomes a one-loss 
conference winner. Texas holds serve. FSU's undefeated. And then Michigan slash Ohio State are the other three teams. Does Oregon, who's a one-loss conference winner for the Pac-12, get in over Alabama, do you think, who beat Georgia? Does Will that Georgia win help Alabama jump Oregon? Okay, so in that scenario, Washington would be out. Yes. Uh, the loser of Ohio State, Michigan, would be out. You would have undefeated Florida State. Sorry, I'm just trying to visualize it. Undefeated Florida State, uh, one loss Texas, one loss Oregon, one loss Alabama. And, and then undefeated Big Ten team. Which undefeated is Big Ten team. Uh, I think in that scenario, the conversation would center around Oregon versus Alabama. Uh, and I think if you go to the rankings and you look at and you can forecast what the resume might look like. If Oregon wins out the rest of their games, they will have had a win against a Utah team who at the moment is seven and three, having lost three of their last six and are ranked currently number 22. They would have a win against number five, Washington, who at the moment will be probably still in the top six or seven in the event in which they lose to Oregon, which is a good win, obviously. And then they would have a win against an Oregon State team who, depending on the result of Washington, they can, if Oregon State beats Washington, that makes the win next week better for Oregon, but it would also hurt their Pac-12 title game resume, if you will. But either way, Oregon would have wins against a team that's probably seven to eight in in Washington, a team that's probably 12 to 14 in Oregon State, and a team that's probably just inside the top 25 in Utah. And then you could pull up Alabama's resume and look through it. You could say, well, they have a win against, you know, nine and three, 10 and two Ole Miss, who's probably going to be ranked in the teens. So comparable to Oregon State. Uh, it depends a little bit on how Tennessee finishes out. It's looking like they're probably going to be eight and four. So will Tennessee still be in the top 25? Probably, but it'll be close. LSU, if they can win out, They'll be in the top 25. They're currently 15. And then they would have the win against number one, Georgia, who would probably drop to five. So that would be five significant wins for the Crimson Tide. So I think in that event, Alabama would get in over Oregon when they look at the entire resume and they take a step back, look at conference championships one and evaluate everything in a 13 point data point season. Uh, and it'd be, it'd be probably a very, very Difficult deliberation, but I think Alabama would probably get the edge. Okay, we always do this every single week. What I love and what I hate. Um, what I love, we always start with the positive, right? What I love is that we are sitting here with two weeks left to play in the regular season. And we have, at least by my estimation, and some people have eliminated Louisville, some people have eliminated others. I have yet to do that because I still think there's a path for Louisville to get in. And I'm seeing all these incredible, like incredible different what if scenarios. Well, what if this happens? What if Florida beats Florida State and then Louisville beats Florida State? Would that be enough? What if Florida State's undefeated? And what if Oregon beats Washington? Oregon State beats uh beats Washington and then or then that weakens Oregon's win it's there's a lot of really roundabout awesome hypotheticals and I encourage everyone to engage it is a lot of fun um I don't think it's going to play out that way but this is probably as deep a field as we've had on November 14th in the history of the college football playoff Usually it's kind of whittled down by now to five or six teams. It's really eight or nine deep this year. And if a ball bounces one way or the other, it could very much open the door. For instance, what if Auburn beats Alabama and Bama beats Georgia? Would Georgia still go? Um, if Michigan loses to Ohio State, Ohio State goes on to win the national champion or go, goes on to win the Big Ten, get to the college football playoff. Would Michigan, with their non conference and their lack of strength, schedule strength with one win against a team in Penn state that might be in the top 13 or 14. I mean, by season's end, it might not be enough for Michigan to stay put. So I think there's a lot of really interesting hypotheticals and there are still some potholes left on the schedule for Louisville. 
playing Miami. That's a very difficult game this weekend. Miami, I know they're six and four, but they're a good six and four. I know you are what your record says you are, according to some, but I don't subscribe to that notion. Like, I think Louisville can make things very, very interesting in the college football playoffs. I think they can play with Florida State for sure, but I think that Miami can play with Louisville too. So that is one thing that I'm really excited about is just how wide open the season is with just two weeks left in the regular season. Another thing that I'm really excited about this weekend, we've seen a couple already in the last couple of weeks, but senior days. Senior days are really special. And, and I remember my senior day like it was yesterday. Uh, at least I remember the, the beginning of it. The end, not so much. Uh, I got concussed in my final game in Bryant-Denny. It was against Auburn. It was in 2010. And we were up big and then we ended up giving up the lead. And then I got knocked out there in the fourth quarter with a few minutes left to play. So I don't remember much uh, from the actual game itself, but I remember the emotion leading up to that day and really more so in practice than it was in, in the games. Cause I knew we'd still have bowl practices and everything at that point. That was before players even ever thought about opting out. I knew we'd still have bowl practice and, and still have, um, some things to look forward to in, in the postseason preparation. But that last week was just really emotional. Last SEC game, last opportunity to play with your teammates in front of your home fans, last opportunity to go through the week that was with school and, and seeing kids in class that you're buddies with and have become friends with over the course of time and then going to the facility and preparing in that five-day work week the way you did for five years. And, and to know it's coming to a close was, was an emotional time for me. So I encourage everybody that's thinking about going to a game this weekend or, or next weekend, just make sure you just give a big round of applause for the seniors that have put in all the hard work to get to this point. Uh, I know it's a little different era now with so many guys transferring and maybe there's a little less loyalty, but still uh, they're donning your school's colors and they're working really hard 365 days a year to make you proud to, to, make your program proud and to do the best they can to give your team a chance to succeed. So I love senior day. I always have, it's always been a little emotional for me, even in the booth, even though I'm 13, 14 years removed from playing college football. Uh, here's what I hate. And this will be something that we'll visit in the off season. Uh, I don't ever want a program to settle ever. I'm never going to be okay with that. I'm never going to encourage a, a program to accept mediocrity, but I don't like how quickly we're expecting coaches to get things right. I mean, all the different coaches that are experiencing heat right now, some of which being fired like Zach Arnett after 10 games. And I'm not saying they shouldn't have fired him. Uh, I'm not saying that because if you feel like he was a bridge guy in an emotional situation and you don't feel like he's the best guy to lead your program into the next frontier, I, I get that. I understand that. But the expectation level to just flip the switch and become Sonny Dykes 2.0 is really, really significant. And there have been several examples of coaches that have gone someplace, been successful early, only to see it not work out. And there have been a bunch of coaches that have gone to a place, it not looked so good early, but the program was patient and now they're reaping the rewards. I can think of two programs in particular off the top of my head right now that I can probably talk about. How about Virginia Tech? They went to a ACC championship in Justin Fuente's first season. And then you fast forward four or five years, Justin Fuente is no longer there. It wasn't good. But if we would have rewarded him with some lifetime contract after year one, which some of these coaches now get because he overachieved in year one, then would that have been good for the Virginia Tech program? Probably not. And what if after a year and a half or two years, you look at Mike Norvell's track record at Florida State, the losses, the way he struggled, the way the team lost to Jacksonville State, the way the team was up and down. I mean, we're a year removed from him losing three games in a row and people starting to say, yep, yeah, it's probably time for Mike Norvell to be moving on. And then he figures it out and they've now won however many games in a row. So I would just say the expectations shouldn't waver. You always want what's best for your program, but sometimes we need to be patient in allowing these guys to do what they need to do to establish a culture and to establish an identity offensively and defensively. So I hate that there's so much pressure on coaches to win now because sometimes the long road is actually the best way to build a program and, and get it on solid footings for years to come. Another thing that I hate is when 
coaches that are at other places have to address job uh, job openings. And then we in the media, self-included, because I am part of the media, we are all like, gotcha. You said you weren't going and now you left. What do you make of that? I can think of one that's obviously very close to home. When Nick Saban was coaching the Miami Dolphins, he said, I'm not going to be the Alabama head coach because they asked him over and over and over and over again for days on end. And then he takes the Alabama job and everyone's like, oh, you said you weren't taking it. What do you want him to say? Yeah, you know what? While he's up there at the podium as a head coach of the Miami Dolphins, yeah, you know what? This is great here in South Florida. Love it here. It's an amazing place. But yeah, I'm strongly considering going to Alabama. Like what, what, like, what do you want people to say? I think it's an impossible situation to be in because you're there actively in your day job, your night, your job right now, where your feet, feet are, you are actively selling the program that you are in charge of. And if an opportunity presents itself somewhere else that you decide to take, then you didn't mislead anybody. You were speaking in truth for the moment, but the moment might slip away because an opportunity presents itself at another place. So I don't like that we kind of play gotcha at this point of the coaching carousel, because there's going to be a guy that's addressing a job opening that isn't going to be there. And he's going to look foolish because he might take that job that's open and leave the one that he's currently defending occupying. And that's just not fair. Like if any of us, it doesn't matter what line of work you're in. If you're a if you're a teacher, if you're if you're a firefighter, if you're a police officer, if you are a producer in television, if you're a television talent and and another network comes and offers you an opportunity like no, I'm going to serve ESPN right now forever and but if a job comes open somewhere else like things can change. Same thing if if you're a teacher and and maybe you really want to co- uh, teach kindergarten, but right now you're coaching for, teaching fourth graders and dream job opens up like I'm not going to underserve the fourth graders that I'm currently teaching because I'm en route to another place. No, it's just I think it's a little bit tough and those coaches get put in a in a difficult situation. So I don't like that we have to ask those questions because it just leads to negativity down the road. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. We continue to ask all of you to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you could leave us a review on the Apple Podcast platform, that would mean a lot to us. If you could leave us a thumbs up on the ESPN YouTube channel, we really appreciate all the interaction that you guys have had with the show. We see the comments that you guys are leaving on the ESPN YouTube channel as well. We appreciate you guys very, very much. So for all of us here at Always College Football, extra special thanks to Jack and Mark for filling in in our roundtable today. Some excellent questions, some good hypotheticals, some better than others, but we're a work in progress. We will figure that out, I can assure you of that. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, and the other Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a terrific day, and remember, it's Always College Football.